Welcome to Article One, a show about lawmakers, legislating, and the politics that make Congress work. I'm your host, Molly Hooper, longtime Capitol Hill reporter, sharing with you my one-on-one conversations with Democrats and Republicans who are in the Senate, the House, on the trail, and behind the scenes. On today's episode, I talk with freshman Democratic Rep. Anthony Brindisi of New York. We spoke in early October amid the on-again, off-again talks between the White House and Speaker Pelosi on a COVID relief package. And you can hear his prediction as to whether Congress will send a stimulus bill to the president's desk before Election Day. You'll also hear how his district has fared during this COVID pandemic, his stance on some in his party's call to defund the police, who he will vote for for Speaker, since he didn't vote for Nancy Pelosi the last go-around, and what he thinks it takes to become an effective legislator. If you enjoy what you hear, please tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Article One. And now, on to the conversation. Can you can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, I'm technologically (laughs) and it's so embarrassing and it's so bad because my favorite sort of my new pastime is watching all of the hearings on c-span or the committees and looking for remote hearing fails and i just am laughing so hard because every time i i talk to lawmakers on zoom i mean i'm the one (laughs) i've had my fair share of uh, failures on zoom so don't worry about it have you had any remote hearing fails though i have not had that yet no (laughs) Um, have you have you seen any good ones? I like the ones on the Senate side where senators think they're muted and they're just swearing a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's fun. Uh, but no, I really appreciate you talking to me because sure. uh, I think that what's missing right now in the national dialogue and the political discourse is just sort of a reality check on what members of Congress do for constituents and why you guys are elected in the first sure. place. And um, so I do want to ask some more, you know, current news questions, but I want to start with this one, sort of a softball for you. Sure. What do you you think is the most important accomplishment that you just wish all of your constituents knew about? I I guess the the most important accomplishment I, I wish everyone knew about was the fact that we got four bills signed into law by the president. You know, it's not easy for a freshman member of Congress to get uh, legislation passed in one house, let alone both houses and signed into law. Uh, And I'm excited that we were able to do that um, in pretty divided government. So how did you do that? Because people also want to know this sausage making, it's a little intriguing. How does it happen? How did you get those bills signed into law? And, And one more quick question. Does that include the amendment to the National Defense Authorization Bill? That does. Yeah, that was a, a standalone bill that we actually were able to include in the Defense Authorization Act. So, uh, yeah, I, I, coming from a legislative background, I, I was in the state legislature prior to being in Congress. So I think I had a, a good understanding as to how the uh, the, the sausage making happens. Um, and, and every bill that we put in is, a, is bipartisan. Uh, it's really working to try and convince colleagues uh, when you're on the floor, uh, when you're in committee and, and uh, that personal touch really goes a long way to trying to convince members to vote for legislation uh, and then trying to find things that uh, are bipartisan that will stand the test uh, once you get over to the White House. Now, let me just pick up on that. That, that, that requires sort of the personal touch. Well, ever since about March, that personal touch just hasn't been there. 
So very hard. How very hard. How how has COVID changed the way you've been interacting with your constituents at home and your colleagues on the floor? Well, Washington has changed completely since COVID hit. Uh, There's definitely less interaction on the floor. It does make it a little harder to build those relationships with other members. And especially as a freshman, you're still getting to know other members of Congress uh, on both sides of the aisle. Uh, And without that interaction on the floor, which is one of the few times we're actually all together other than committees, uh, it's hard to do that. So uh, a lot has gone virtual. We're doing a lot of Zoom meetings. Uh, the various caucuses that I'm involved in are still meeting on a weekly basis, uh, all, although by Zoom. And uh, it, back home, uh, a lot more is being done either through telephone or through uh, uh, virtual meetings. You know, we've been doing a lot of telephone town halls since COVID struck, um, and they've been they've been pretty successful. We've had uh, on one particular call, we had about 10,000 constituents on the call, and we usually get a hundred. Oh Maybe if we're lucky, 150 people that show up at a town hall meeting, uh, but to get 10,000 shows the, uh, the the need out there for more information. And what kind of questions are you getting? What kind of casework is your office um, dealing with now? You know, because of COVID, and then I'll come. I'll I'll circle back to that in terms of cases pre-COVID. Well, uh, casework post-COVID COVID, uh, has really has really uh, gone up substantially. We've had a number of uh, calls as People are trying to work through uh, some of the changes to the unemployment system. Uh, they're calling our office to speed along unemployment checks. Uh, we got a number of calls from small businesses trying to navigate the PPP loans. Um, not a calls from from farmers uh, trying to uh, deal with some of the challenges that are facing agriculture right now. Probably the biggest call that we got was, "Where's my stimulus check?" Um, you know, that was uh, a huge, a huge uh, debacle and. Once IRS decided to switch over to debit cards, uh, we found out that a lot of people thought they were credit card solicitations and ended up throwing them out. Uh, So we had to spend a lot of time working with IRS and Treasury to replace uh, debit cards that had stimulus money on them. I was just listening to the oversight subcommittee hearing on um, the IRS and and the IRS commissioner. And he's just I mean, he was kind of getting barraged by by both sides um, because there have been so many snafus and the technological issues, the deficiencies at the IRS that they're dealing with. Not even I mean, it was so funny. I think the commissioner said, you know, maybe it was it was Jody Heiss and Jerry Connolly. They were kind of tag teaming on a question. They said, well, you know, we think you need a, a like a, a somebody dedicated to be the liaison with Congress, more so than the ledge affairs person. And because you're not getting back to our offices, there's 535 members, and we are hearing from constituents who have issues, like you said, a majority of which have to do with their stimulus checks. And so that the commissioner said, well, you know, so I set up a line uh, for, for members of Congress and pretty much within the few, the first few hours we were deluged and it was pretty much burned out. Yeah. And then he goes, so I had this great idea to set up just a, like, like a mailbox, an email box. And he said, and in the per- first week we received about a hundred thousand emails from like mail.gov, senate.gov yeah. accounts. Yeah. And it, it just, I mean, that money means so much to people. And especially tell me about your community, your district, what does $1,200 mean you know, for the cost of living in your district in it's sort of upper, is it the mid, it's central New York? Do you, yeah. You're on the lake a little bit? Yeah, a little bit um, of central New York, upstate New York, um, southern tier area. 
Right. So what does that money mean mean for your constituents? It it means a lot. People are struggling in this district, just like they are in many districts across the country. Um, You know, uh, average household incomes aren't aren't as high as uh, wealthier suburban areas around the country. So when someone's out of work and uh, they're waiting for their unemployment check or they're waiting for a stimulus check, you know, you're you're, you're literally uh, struggling to find enough resources to put food on the table. Uh, and one of the things that we saw during throughout the pandemic is just the the huge reliance on um, food banks in our district. You know, they had mm-hmm. a number of food drives uh, throughout the uh, the coronavirus, and still those continue. And you know, they'll get 400 cars, um, sometimes thousands of cars lining up to get food. And when you talk to uh, people who run the local food banks, they'll tell you that because they track all of this. A lot of times it's first time uh, people, uh, first time clients who are coming to the food bank uh, to try and get uh, to get enough food to make that uh, grocery dollar stretch to the end of the month. So it's been it's been a challenge. And when you're waiting, um, you get you're frustrated as a constituent. We get frustrated as members of Congress. And when you're not getting a good response from IRS, uh, that really compounds the the problem. And, and I get it. You know, they. They, I don't think we're set up for this. And you have a lot of people at IRS who are working remotely right now as well. So it's right. been a challenge getting through this. I just think that there has to be a smoother process. Uh, hopefully, if we get another round of stimulus checks out to the public. Good transition. I love all these Congress people I've been talking to. Make the, <laughs> they have the best transitions. Yes, another round of stimulus talk checks. Is that so? Technically, the president has tweeted out that he's done with the negotiations. Wait till the election, but is that really happening? Are, are there talks happening behind the scenes? I think there's still talks happening behind the scenes. I, I was pretty disappointed in the president's comments because it, it felt for like the last few days, uh, up until he made that statement, that we were getting very close. So I thought the talks between the speaker and Secretary Mnuchin were going in the right direction. Um, you know, for us here in New York State, which was uh, uh, in the early days, the epicenter of this pandemic, right. we got hit pretty hard. And uh, state and local assistance is a big deal for us. Um, and I feel that as as Americans, we should all have each other's back, whether the pandemic is uh, centered in New York City or Kentucky or any other part of the country. Um, so right. we got to get the state and local assistance piece. And we definitely need another stimulus package. Uh, as all the experts are warning, we're not out of the woods yet both in terms of the public health crisis and the economic fallout. Right. Well, maybe if it was hitting Kentucky a little harder, Mitch McConnell would have been a little bit more amenable to striking a deal. That is for sure. Um, we would have a deal, I'm sure, by now. Yeah. He, he, he likes cutting deals and getting judges confirmed. <laughs> uh, he hasn't met a conservative judge. He hasn't liked to get on that bench. That's for sure. Um, that is for sure. Crack that whip. Um, but but I, I heard that Speaker Pelosi in talking to Democrats, I mean, like an hour, a few hours before the president sent out this tweet, she was basically saying, yeah, we're almost there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had a caucus call earlier. Um, and again, she had reiterated that she remained hopeful that uh, the discussions were going in the right direction and we were going to get some kind of a deal done. Um, so where this stands now, I don't know. I, I know that as of our, our conversation right now, the president has tweeted something like 40 plus times in the last, uh, uh, several hours. So who knows? Uh, he definitely follows the stock market and the stock market didn't react too well to, uh, his, uh, his statement about, uh, not doing something until after the election, because as everyone knows, we got to get something done. It just seemed like such, um, 
an unusual time to make that statement or to give ground on negotiations, given that this president likes to tout himself as the great negotiator and deal cutter. Um, the election is like four weeks away. And, you know, if, if the Republicans are seen as walking away from the table, I mean, it doesn't really give anybody a win because nobody's getting the stimulus checks. Or, But at the same time, it kind of ostensibly gives the Democrats in the House a little bit more of a win because, you know, you weren't walking away. Um, and, you know, I, you mentioned earlier the state and local government aspect of this. And there had been quite a bit of criticism from the Republican side of the aisle that this money would go to bail out New York City and, and liberal you know, cities. But the Problem Solvers Caucus came up with a, came up with a formula to, to get money to state and local governments, but not subsidize you know, the, these expensive um, you know, uh, pension plans and things like that. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, that state and local government aspect? And was any of that language included in sort of this, this, these general talks between the speaker and the White House. Yeah, well, there I'll was say, a lot there. Sorry about no, that. No, I, I, I'm following you. Uh, I, I would say first, you know, in terms of those arguments about blue state bailout, um, you know, no one's talking about bailing out uh, states for pension issues or prior prior budget problems. That certainly is never right. was never my intention, uh, nor uh, the intention of any of the packages that we've passed, including the Heroes Act, which passed back in, in May. Uh, you know, this this money is very specific and it can be used for um, reimbursement for COVID related expenses, which many states have incurred, um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in expenses related to PPE and other uh, medical supplies they've had to purchase as a result of coronavirus. Uh, and then, you know, for our localities, there has been a significant drop in sales tax and other revenues that counties and city governments and towns rely on. Um, you know, they're making, they're going to be forced to make some pretty devastating cuts to public safety and health care and education, which is going to lead to more job loss if we don't get some help to these localities uh, very soon. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the problem solvers of, of which I'm a member of, I thought put together a great blueprint. Uh, when you can get 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans to agree on anything, I think it deserves some merit in the House of Representatives. And that was a great framework really to, uh, make compromises on both sides, but recognizing that each side wants something uh, and we got to work together to figure out uh, what the end product is. And I would encourage uh, the White House and the Speaker to get to get back to that framework so we can get a deal done. Were, were they actually using that framework? Because a lot of my questions have been how much of that framework was being used. I mean, because that was a very, um, you know, well thought out plan. As you said, both sides gave, I mean, the Republicans were, you know, they were unsure about the unemployment insurance aspect, yeah. but but Democrats and the Problem Solvers Caucus seemed to come up with a plan that Republicans could get behind. You know, there was some, a little bit of liability reform if you kind of read the, the, the framework a certain way. And I've just been trying to follow, you know, in these talks that Speaker Pelosi has had with the um, Secretary Mnuchin, has that language or that those those bullet point items, those problem solving um, provisions, has that been a real? Have they been talking about those ideas? Absolutely. In the way that you have. Yeah, okay. I mean, we, we the, the framework that we put together, and, and we didn't get caught up in numbers, so to speak. We really looked right. at. Let's look at the items that we can agree on. We all 
can agree that there needs to be a, a, a national testing strategy and more more money for healthcare and testing. Um, you know, Democrats uh, believe, and, and many Republicans too, that there has to be some uh, state and local assistance. The Republicans were were, were much more uh, pushing the the liability reforms, uh, but we all agree that uh, you know food food assistance, some kind of uh, rental assistance, uh, child care. Uh, these are all things that had to be included in any kind of a, a, a bipartisan framework, and um, that was really the basis of the problem solvers plan. And, I, and if you look at you know some of the statements that Secretary Mnuchin made, and uh, you know I think he's certainly negotiating off of that plan, and the House is going off of the Heroes Plan. Uh, if we can meet somewhere in the middle there, I think that's a, a great uh, a great win for our country. Now, shortly before the House recessed uh, until. To a time to be determined, you know, or pass the election. Democrats put forward a second version of the Heroes Act. Eighteen Democrats, including yourself, voted against it, saying yep. it was it was a partisan, um, you know, effort, so to speak. Tell me a little bit more about that, and um, you know, what Speaker Pelosi's reaction was to it. I'm not really sure what the reaction was, but uh, I can tell you <laughs> that it, from from my perspective. Um, I, I, the next uh, COVID bill I vote on, I want it to be bipartisan. I want it to be something we can get signed into law. I'm not looking to do messaging bills. Um, me, that's not a win. We got to go back uh, to our districts uh, with relief for hardworking families and individuals that have been suffering throughout this virus. For all of our frontline workers, the people who've been keeping us going through this pandemic, um, they, they deserve to really uh, see some uh, some real relief coming from Washington. So, um, you know, I, I, I want to get something done. I want it to pass uh, on a bipartisan basis like we've done with the five or so previous coronavirus response bills. Uh, and that's what I'll that's that's when I'll be prepared to vote. Yes. Uh, on something that can actually be signed into law. Let's let's get let's get back to the negotiating table and get something done. OK, how optimistic are you? that a relief bill package, whatever you want to call it, can get signed into law before election day? Well, 24 hours before this conversation that we're having right now, <laughs> I was a uh, glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> uh, since the president's comments, his recent comments, I, I may be more uh, on the pessimistic side, but um, right. you know, I, 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 I will say that uh, I joke a little bit because I, you know, I, I, as a, as a, as an elected official, I believe you got to be an optimist and you got to try and continue to work towards uh, the end goal. In this case, getting another COVID-19 relief package done. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm still going to remain optimistic um, and I, I, I think we can get it done. I think the president, you know, again, talking about that stock market, I, you know, we all know how much he loves the stock market. And when he sees those numbers going down and he, he sees that reaction to his statement yesterday, I think he's got to take pause for a second and say, uh, maybe my comment wasn't such a good idea and we got to get back to the negotiating table here. It's what the American people are calling for. We can't wait till after the election. We certainly can't wait till next year. Uh, we got to do it now. Exactly. What about standalone bills like to protect the airline employees, um, maybe the PPP bill, but did you actually, did you sign that um, discharge petition? I, I wasn't sure, I didn't check. I did not, um, no. Okay. I, you know, I, I don't but think these things can about. go really on their own. The, everything is interrelated. Okay. The economy is is so dependent on all these various sectors that to do things uh, standalone, I, I think is a real disservice. Look, we, we have to have more small business assistance. I'm in favor of more PPP, making it more flexible for smaller businesses. We need to help right. the airline industry. 
we also got to do the state and local government. That's the one thing that um, you know the other side has been very resistant to doing. McConnell's been very resistant to doing is the state and local assistance. You know, we can't. We, we may have you know thousands of layoffs in the airline industry. Uh, but we're also going to have thousands of layoffs uh, among state and local governments too. So, you know, we're helping one side, but not the other. We got to help everyone right now. Uh, and that's why these all, these things all go together. And um, if we want a true economic recovery, we got to help all these different sectors of the economy. Doesn't it seem a little contradictory when on the one hand, a party you're calling for more funding for the police, yeah. but on the other hand, you're kind of opposed to the state and local funding but that state and local funding goes to the police who have been over the first responders who've been so overworked, um, you know, through this COVID crisis. Uh, it just it doesn't I don't yeah. think a lot of people understand that out in the real world. I agree, I agree 100 percent. Look, I mean, there's there's very specific areas that our local government spend, um, you know, right. look, safety is a big part of that. And if they are not getting the state and local assistance from the federal government, and states like New York are cutting back because um, they are faced with a budget deficit, then the area that they're gonna have to cut is, you know, first responders, police officers, fire, EMS. Um, they're gonna cut infrastructure projects. So filling those potholes uh, in our streets and that's all gonna lead to loss of jobs. Um, so, you know, we should support those people uh, like those first responders, those police officers, firefighters who had to show up every day during the height of this pandemic uh, and get us through this uh, this public health crisis. Now, now speaking of the of police, the police, um, one issue where Democrats received a lot of criticism, well, I guess received some criticism after the convention was not speaking out more forcefully against violence that's been happening at peaceful protests, and um, the calls by some in the party, not not everyone obviously, but some in the party to defund the police. Where do you stand on that? What have you said and and what's your position on defunding the police? Well, I, I'm totally against defunding the police. I, I think that um, it's, uh, it, it, you know, it's a statement that may mean different things to different people. But to me, uh, taking away resources from law enforcement at a time when we want more community engagement programs, we want better trained officers, we want things like body cameras is a real mistake. In fact, I've actually gone a step further and introduced a, a bipartisan bill with my uh, colleague, uh, Congressman Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania to uh, defund cities that defund the police, uh, to really send a message that uh, we're <laughs> against defunding the police and we don't want cities doing that. Having said that, you know, it's we always get caught up in this, uh, you're either on one side or you're on the other side type of debate right. in this country. When I think most Americans look at uh, a situation like George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd and say, we are outraged at what happened there and there has to be reforms so those kinds of uh, acts don't take place. Most Americans look at uh, protests and say, yes, 100%, we, we support peaceful protests and we are 100% against violence and looting uh, of cities across this country. And I think most Americans look at law enforcement by and large as doing a very good job uh, most officers, I believe, uh, uphold their oath to defend and uh, protect and serve their communities. But we also need some reforms to make sure that we're improving relations between uh, police departments uh, and, and inner cities. Can I ask you, I need to ask you a question about the reforms, because yes. the one thing that sort of confused me when I was I, and I was watching, I was tracking a lot of the House Democratic plan and what the Senate Republicans were working on. So some of the Senate Democrats working with the House Democrats. 
the one area where one would think there, the reforms would happen would be helping out, hel helping police chiefs have the ability to fire rogue bad apple cops. But that was not necessarily included. Nothing really. I mean, there was nothing. There was really no teeth in that in this House and Senate Democratic plan to change the way the unions the kind of power the unions wield. And I, as somebody who used to date a cop, <laughs> <laughs> who still great guy, good. I mean, he was, he actually ran one of the so-called community oriented policing programs, which was great. It was like the first thing cut whenever they had budget cuts in yeah. the city close to where I'm living. But um, the unions, the power they wield makes it very, very difficult for police chiefs to fire bad acting policemen. And well, what's your take on that? Well, I, I, I think that's that's a that's a great point. Uh, nobody wants to get rid of, uh, at least for the, the police officers I talk to, um, they, they have every incentive to want to get rid of bad police officers because right. it makes everyone look bad when there's an instance uh, like a George Floyd. Um, so we, we have to look at how do we give more tools to uh, cities and police departments to be able to go after bad actors and to make sure that once action is taken against an officer who may have committed an act of police brutality, that that officer cannot now go to another police department uh, in a different town and, and do the same thing again. So uh, I think most police chiefs are looking for the tools. Um, uh, to, to help um, uh, get rid of any officer that is um, committing multiple abuses and things like that. Uh, and that's something we should look at. Okay. So I know that you jo voted for Joe Biden for speaker. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, um, who are you going to vote for for speaker if you're reelected? And perhaps there's a president-elect Joe Biden. I don't know if that's going to work. Who, who would you vote for? Well, first, my my vote for Joe Biden. Yeah, you know, he he was a, a Syracuse University graduate um, here in Central New York. We all bleed orange. Um, so for those uh, Syracuse fans out there, um, but in terms of you know the the, the next uh, the next uh, speaker, I, I had honestly I've not made that decision yet. Um, I, I'm looking towards November third. I want I want to uh, be reelected here in this district. Uh, I'm honored to represent the 22nd. And no matter who the speaker is, I'm going to work with them on behalf of the people here in upstate New York. Out of curiosity, what was it like working with Speaker Pelosi after you voted for Joe Biden? And let me just put this caveat. <laughs> I've I've covered Speaker Pelosi for a lot of years. I mean, a lot of years. And if, if one thing she is, she is very pragmatic and she wants to protect the people who are elected in difficult districts. So so I don't know if she would be she would look so so poorly on somebody you know, like yourself, who represents a district that is majority Republican um, for maybe voting for Joe Biden. But, you know, how how have your dealings been with Speaker Pelosi since you've been in the House? They, they've been great. Um, you know, I, I, I can, you know, a lot of people came up to me and joked afterwards, well, did they move your office out uh, onto Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue or uh, where, where's your office now? Um, and look, no, I, I mean, we, we've we've had a good relationship. There's areas where I agree. There's areas where I disagree. Um, but you know, my my record has been pretty clear. Getting getting four bills. Actually, we've sent now six bills that have passed both House and Senate to the president's desk. We're waiting on signature on two of them. Um, but you know, we we've got that done, and I I haven't seen any retaliation uh, on me. Because I was going to say, I don't know if if our listeners understand what what a big deal it is. I mean, you said this at the beginning that it's not, I mean, it's very rare, number one, for 
a bill that a member of Congress introduces to become a law. It's yeah. ju- it, the process makes it very difficult, unless, of course, you're a committee chairman, especially the Appropriations Committee, where you have you basically have an easy pass because you have to fund the government, right? So the fact that you've had four bills actually signed into law, that's 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 um, that's that's really difficult. And and you you pointed to your experience in the New York Legislature. Um, what about your experience in the New York Legislature? prepared you to know how to navigate this system? Because, I mean, it's just, again, it's pretty remarkable. Well, I'll say, um, I mean, first, when I say I, I mean, there's a whole team behind me, too. Uh, you know, I, I got to give a shout out to, to my staff, um, you know, my legislative team, my chief of staff, everybody. You know, they they all work super hard and are part of the success of us getting those bills signed into law. Um, so kudos to them, too. And you know, I would say the one thing I learned in the state legislature, um, which I, I kind of mentioned earlier, is legislating is all about building relationships and um, the best quality you can have as, as any legislator is to be a good listener and to try and put yourself in situations where you are in uh, conversations with other uh, legislators where you can pick up on areas of uh, agreement and then move forward. You know, we passed a bill uh, on veteran suicide. Um, you know, my co-sponsors, uh, Republican co-sponsors, we, we probably don't agree on a lot, but we both agree that there is a veteran suicide crisis happening in this country and we got to do something about it. So, you know, you, you pick up on those conversations just by being a good listener and hearing what their concerns are. And when you find some area of agreement, you, 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 you charge ahead. So it seems like a lot of people aren't listening these days. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it seems like there's a, there's a lot of tweeting going on <laughs> and there's not a lot of, of, of conversing and, and, you know, getting to know your fellow lawmakers. And so I'm curious as if you think you could find areas of agreement with, say, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a fellow New York delegate, one of the delegation, um, and somebody like, well, obviously Tom Reed, but somebody somebody like um, Gary Palmer from Alabama. You, you know, where do you, how do you find those areas of agreement? Of course, veteran suicide, that, that that's a big one, yeah. but say on the environment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, again, you know, on the big picture um, climate crisis type issues or maybe a comprehensive immigration reform bill, maybe we, we can't find agreement on that. But let's start small. Let, you know, to use a, a baseball analogy, let's let's start hitting some singles and doubles and then build off of that. So um, maybe we you know, look at agriculture. Um, you know, my Republican colleagues uh, represent a lot of rural districts. Uh, I happen to represent a very rural district. We have a lot of farms in our district. Uh, one of the issues you hear from farmers all the time is the, uh, you know, the, the inability to find enough workers who are able to come to this country and work on farms. Um, right. So, you know, one of the things we did in the House and the problem solvers were instrumental in backing this was the uh, the farm workforce modernization bill, which uh, reformed the H-2A program and uh, really uh, set up a, a, a better process for workers coming to this country to work on farms across uh, the nation. That passed with overwhelming bipartisan support. And uh, I think both sides recognize, especially those of us that represent the rural areas, that if you don't have workers coming to farms, we don't eat. Right. I mean, I'm from the Central Valley of California. So, so those are a lot of the issues that people like Josh Harden 
um, yeah. and harder. And, uh, you know, Jerry McInerney before that, Richard Pombo, if you can believe it, Republican, <laughs> um, you know, um, you know, those are issues that that obviously they're very interested in. And where's that? Did that pass the Senate? Help me out here. It didn't pass the or, Senate. No, we're, we're, what is going we're on with the Senate? yeah, it's another one of those bills that we uh, have on Mitch McConnell's doorstep there. But again, that's there's no reason why the Senate should if that bill was put on the Senate floor. I guarantee it would pass with overwhelming bipartisan support. And it's important to many states. I mean, you mentioned California. Jimmy Panetta was a real leader on that bill. Um, and uh, that's yeah. you know, it's yes. because agriculture is so important to California as well. That was Anthony Brindisi of New York's 22nd District. A special thank you to Luke Jackson for setting up the interview. On the next episode, I speak with retiring Florida Republican Francis Rooney who has made waves in his party and, as of this recording, is still undecided on whether he will vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden for president. He has some advice for members of the GOP on a number of matters, including climate change. So be sure to tune in. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can write to me at article1podcast at gmail.com My Twitter handle is at Molly Hooper. Until the next episode, I reserve the right to revise and extend my remarks. (music) 